1: Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: Well, our next speaker to join Amrit on the stage is psychotherapist and behavior change specialist Tony Johansson. Tony takes an action-oriented, philosophical approach to therapy and group work, utilising and combining flow states, neurology and psychotherapy to assist people with changing their behaviour. Tony takes a unique approach to working with anxiety, encouraging clients to listen to their anxiety and
3: understand it as the compass to their authenticity rather than a symptom to be removed. Tony's belief is that by better understanding the biological and cognitive limitations of the human condition, people can begin to liberate themselves from their own suffering. Let's give Tony a big, warm round of applause.
4: (laughs) 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 A lot lot to live up to, you just said. (laughs) My inner musician
3: wants to adjust the stand. So
4: cool. Let's do that. Oh, yeah. How do you feel in this moment? Because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is anxiety. Do you feel anything? It's interesting.
3: I just said to my son before, I said, I can smell my armpits. (laughs) (laughs) And so, of course, that sounds quite um, gross. So so one of the things when I talk about anxiety is even getting to the point where you can actually notice a difference in your scent. So if I sweat because I'm exerting myself, that just kind of smells like garden variety sweat. Whereas if I'm in a big meeting with very important people or if I'm doing something like this, there's just a little hint of BO there. So that that BO is what happens when cortisol, which is your stress hormone. So when that is excreted, that's, that's the difference between BO and just garden variety sweat. So that for me says that I'm a little bit anxious. Um, I had two long black coffees, which doesn't help, but <laughs> in the interest of walking towards anxiety.
4: <laughs> so to yeah, really I'm, embody what we're going to talk about today, he had two so black coffees. Exactly. So You've
3: had 20 minutes, half an hour warm-ups. So you're <laughs> in the zone right now.
4: Awesome. So tuning into that, um, actually, let's just start there because yeah. I legitimately see caffeine as liquid anxiety, am I incorrect at looking at it that way? Or? No, no,
3: It's, a, it's a, uh, so my expertise, along with behaviour change and all sorts of other bits and pieces that I do, I'm also a forensic drug and alcohol clinician as well, so I have a pretty good understanding of substance use and what substances mm. do to the central nervous system. So, yeah, so anxiety is a stimulant. So it turns our central nervous system up, which, um, which, which is the same as the fight-flight response, which is anxiety. So it, it mirrors anxiety fundamentally.
4: I hope being too chop suey isn't rattling everybody, but let's just find out how you got there. Um, like, What brought you to the work that you're doing with the rehab sort of stuff and okay. also this, all this awareness around anxiety and then we'll get yeah. your perspective on what it's actually trying to inform
3: Do you want the, the lifespan story or the... Yeah, story? in a
4: nutshell. <laughs> how big um, is the nut?
3: Okay. So, so death was always present in my house. It wasn't mm. something we shied away from and my dad's, my dad's mum had died in a very graphic way in world war Two, my dad was a bit older than most dads so he was about 40 when i was born so he he was very young during world war Two and yep. and had some experienced some serious trauma which which then had its repercussions across the lifespan which i understand a lot better now than i did then yeah um so what it meant was as a kid growing up i was always aware of death and mortality and things like that which is not common i guess it's not something that we that we think we should educate young especially people about, in especially in the west yeah. yeah totally and then my own brother died in a pretty graphic car accident when i was 15 uh, which i guess was my real first hand experience of mortality and what that looks like and and human limitations and what i found with my community which was so i'm surrounded by guardians and parents and well-wishers and teachers and all this kind of stuff and everything they were offering me for to to try and console me just seemed so empty and vacuous like i didn't i didn't buy it i didn't get it
4: what sort of things were they uh
3: I wasn't going to say God works in mysterious ways, but those kind of sentiments, um, uh, a lot of what I felt to be pity, and I've Mm. since came to understand the difference between empathy and sympathy as a psychotherapist. I specialise in empathy. Sympathy is not my bag. I don't feel sorry for anyone, but I can definitely empathise with whatever state you're in and whatever you're experiencing at this point in time. Mm. And so I didn't feel much empathy. I felt a lot of sympathy, and I also could smell fear because I was now this kind of representation of the fact that people's children die. And and that would remind other parents when I would come around to see my mate. There's this sort of look of terror. So that's so. So I guess it 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 reduced my faith in the in in parents and guardians to have honest conversations about death. Really. Yeah. So that's what. And so the missing piece of the puzzle, I guess, was I was a big Doors fan and Hendrix fan at the time. And. Went on to realize later that these guys, have, um, especially Jim Morrison, was a big fan of existential philosophy. And so, especially if you listen to some of those Doors records, they read like a Nietzsche book. Um am mm. not saying it's plagiarism, we'll call it inspiration. Uh, and so, that was the only thing that was speaking to me, really, was these, um, was really Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix were speaking the kind of language I was speaking about life in, in existential terms. I just didn't have the language to realize what they were talking about. Mm. And then Went on to be a, a musician and a tradesman for large parts of my life, and then retrained as a therapist, and, and then found existential philosophy in a, in a more formalised way. Mm. And it was sort of like, oh, cool. So I'm not alone. This is, um, ironically, being that the existential position is we're all alone. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, reading through this existential philosophy, I was like, oh, okay. This is there's actually a really formalised framework to the way I see the world. This is not a unique thing. Awesome. That was my entry point, yeah.
4: Yeah, so music and philosophy, I, I, I love that. It's a big part of my life, and I think Tanya's going to do some, like, explain a little bit about that as well. I'd really love to understand, for those introduced to it for the first time, existential philosophy. What are you talking about?
3: So existential philosophy, is it's actually closely linked to ontology, which is the studying of being. So it's really, it's less philosophical in the sense of rationalist argument, and mm-hmm. it's more philosophical in the sense of what does it mean to be? Uh, Heidegger, who's a, who's a controversial, well, they're all controversial figures in the existential <laughs> space, um, he's quoted as saying, you know, human beings are the only creatures for whom their being is an issue. And, you know, I think we can safely say that when we see a swan sort of swim past, I don't know if the swan's wondering what it means to be a swan and what does it mean to be this kind of swan at this mm. point in history. And, and it's, yeah. but as
4: humans... Is my right is... wing bigger than my left <laughs> wing? Yeah yeah, 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 I'm feeling you, yeah, I'm feeling you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
3: How many likes have I got?
4: <laughs> Are there any other swans following me? No. <laughs>
3: exactly. Am I the first swan to feel this way? <laughs> and so, yeah. So for humans, we're stuck with this precarious predicament where mm. our being is an issue. It's we can't escape that. And so the existential philosophical position is that there's, whilst everybody in in with an existentialist mindset, not necessarily disagrees, but there's no shared. Uh, doctrine, I guess. Mm. There's no sort of existential Bible that, that that we read
4: from. I think this really spoke to you. You said when I read oh yeah, it. yeah totally. the fact that it was so your own thing. No one can pummel it. Yeah, it's into.
3: the only ism that says, "Well, it's it's just my ism. It can't be your ism if it's mine." You know, <laughs> oh, whereas right. most isms yeah. are like where, where they're they're a really sort of tribal yeah, ism, I guess. Yeah, and pick your ism. They're everywhere now, and it's 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 very tribal. And there's there's, there's reasons that this is appealing because being. Together with people, we're herd animals. It's it's really um, it's a really gratifying act. Plus, we die if we're alone. Um, so it explains the the tribal the draw to the tribal isms. Mm. Uh, so existentialism, ironically though, insists that if you you're becoming very curious about it, you'll realise that it's your actual responsibility and burden. It would be the words they use, which is pretty radical. But mm. it's your burden to 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 form your own world view, and you can't just adopt or inherit from anyone else. And so. Do you want to keep talking? Or? Yeah,
5: yeah,
3: okay. yeah. So, the, so <laughs> I thought we were done. <laughs> <laughs> You've
4: got a bit more time ago. <laughs> right.
3: No, no, I just, I just, it's... Yeah. <laughs> the challenge is being a therapist. You sort of you. you, you I listen, want to encourage you, you to
4: listen. talk. <laughs> this is your moment, yeah. mate. Right. So I'm glad we clarified that. Chairs on the other butt. I mean, sorry.
3: <laughs> so so so. Whilst of course, there's lots and lots of different opinions in in the field of existential thought. There's there's four things at least within existential psychotherapy, that that we use is existential givens. And and existential givens meaning that any human that has ever existed has has had to negotiate these four things. Uh, Of course, there's more than that, but they're the four that we at least agree upon. Mm. So the first being death, and as we spoke about, us being that being is our only... We're the only creatures where being seems to be an issue. A large part of that is because it's a boundary to existence. We know it's finite. And regardless of your beliefs post- physical experience everyone's probably got their own their own concept of what might happen if if there is an afterlife whatever that looks like
4: can I ask you just like to interject between us going through the four steps like as a society especially in the west we've got this concept but we don't really acknowledge death a lot like maybe in this room most of us are quite hippied out so we kind of have a more of an intimate relationship with it yeah but outside of this space I know there's a lot of people that perhaps you know like I know from my first-hand experience where death is just something you just don't really talk about Um, does that speak to like perhaps in your perspective a baseline underlying current of anxiety that we are embedded into yeah definitely
3: definitely and i think too when you talk about death one of those i guess to to add some weight to what we're talking about Mm -hmm. is that when we initially introduce it into the conversation most of you should feel not anxious but just a little bit of (laughs) just something just a little bit we're going to talk about the fact that i'm i know i'm going to die and then 80 is a good run so we know it's coming that, that should be an anxiety-provoking experience. Mm-hmm. So the existential position is that we need to live with this awareness because we're already experiencing the anxiety based around the fact that we know this is a finite experience. And so to pretend that's not happening, that's when we start to get into a space of what the existentialists would call inauthenticity or bad faith, depending on your philosophical approach. Mm. And so in a nutshell, when we deny any of these four pillars, I guess, of, of, of the boundary experience of being human. When we deny the anxiety they provoke, and the existentialists call it angst, they make a differentiation between existential anxiety and neurotic anxiety. So when we deny existential these Existential anxiety
4: and what was the other one? Neurotic. Neurotic. Right.
3: So the, the theory being that you don't want to think about your own mortality because it's terrifying, and we mm. all understand that. Um, if you make a conscious decision to never think about it, mm. even though we all know it's happening, mm. then the position is that neurotic anxiety will manifest mm. and that will come in the form of compulsions and yeah you know, hand-washing addictions yeah uh, particularly and, and anger and blame and these kinds of things because when, when i say walk towards your anxiety it's this this uncomfortable experience is asking you to confront your humanness and the very limited nature of being human and the denial of that is going to manifest in neurotic anxiety which is which which will plague your existence more than existential anxiety so there's no removal of anxiety but mm. there's there's a more honest conversation with anxiety and that's that's the framework from which i operate as a, as a therapist and as a behavior change facilitator
4: cool so we're we still on point one are we at point we're two? still
3: on point one sorry guys how much Let's time have we got get to point two <laughs> so point two i mean there's no there's no hierarchy in order so we'll, we'll go with meaninglessness yeah. And so, meaninglessness means that the philosophical position back in Aristotle's time was that humans were born with an essence. There's a fundamental something that makes a human a human, and that that then comes to light and manifests throughout across the lifespan. Mm. And so, the existential position is, well, there's no essence for what it means to be human. Because if you look across history, for example, mm. what was considered, um, I guess, what was considered mainstream behaviour. Or even endorsed and encouraged, yep. three thousand years later might be considered absolutely barbaric. Mm. And and we can see that anyway. I mean, we can say that even in contemporary terms, even in our own lives, we know stuff we used to do as kids is now is now unacceptable mm.
6: socially. Yep. Uh,
3: which means that there is no, there can't be an essence because it's it's changing the whole time. So we're sort of born as this blank slate. Right. What's not blank about us is the limit is the physical limitations that we have as humans. Right. Uh, and so The the challenge is is that it's up to us as individuals to cultivate our own sense of meaning. Mm. And so you and I think this is meaningful because we're doing it. It's evidence in our behaviour.
4: Sure. So the query that I had then, when you said the word essence, for me that was synonymous with my interpretation of spirit, soul, something like that. Is that kind of what you're saying is detached from the risk of sounding content?
3: Well, to some degree. So you might say, look, from an existential standpoint, more existential philosophers are atheists mm. than are not. Yep. There's still a long history of Christian and Catholic existential philosophers and quite spiritual people that sit in that space. Mm-hmm. It also sits really close with Buddh- Buddhism as well. So it's got its own sort of – It is. A, it, it can be a spiritual philosophy, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily following a, a doctrine or an orthodoxy, right. if that makes sense. Interesting. And so from an F- essence standpoint,
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: Even if every, even if we take um, I don't know 1,800 Buddhists yep. each one of them is still going to have their own little nuanced absolutely. understanding of how the they come to terms with that in on there's,
4: which, there's a reason we're here. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Totally. So that once again breaks it down to an individualist form of thought. Mm.
4: Cool. Interesting. Very interesting. Point
3: three? So point three would be uh, isolation and that is that Being Mm. my, I mean, if we're talking about the biology of being human, Mm. then it's a very unique experience to be who you are because Mm. who you are is a manifestation of every single thing that's ever happened to you, plus your DNA, which is pretty unique, Yeah. uh, plus the fact that evolution plays its part in that, plus the fact that you've been socialised in a way that's very unique to you because socialisation is the interaction between you and your environment. It's not just like I was raised in the 70s. That doesn't mean anything. (sighs) It's like, well, it's how you interacted with the 70s right. that, that, is, that is influencing who you are. Mm. And so what that means is you and I are having the same conversation right now and everyone here is listening to this, well, hopefully is listening to this conversation. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you will all have, there'll be different parts of what we're talking about that are going to resonate with you. And even if you explain it to right. the person next to you, they're going to hear what you're saying based on their worldview and interpret it based on their relationship to those words and all these kinds of things. So there's always, there's always like a gap between communication between humans. Mm. And that gap from an existential standpoint is, is what they call isolation. Mm. And you can see that manifest with people who, who are unwilling to accept that can feel so anxious they can get separation anxiety around mm-hmm. people or around things or around because they're desperately trying to cling to things. And that, that's where the objectification of, of your partner, for example, might come into play. Do you right. truly accept that you're, you're isolated in this and that your partner's never really going to understand like, exactly what it's like to be used? <laughs> Just They'll get a kind of ballpark idea? Yeah. That's isolation. And it's a, it's a universal human experience that every single human who has ever existed experiences and will experience. It's not something that at this point in time we look like we're going to transcend. So it's mm. another human given.
4: Mm, I love that because it's that speaking to that individuation. Totally. And uh, yeah, if there was a new age spiritual movement that we had to create, I think unity would kind of just be the thing. But I think that innovation really speaks to it. I also think sometimes even just being in the ballpark would be a blessing. Yeah, yeah, I'm really happy
3: with the ballpark. <laughs>
4: I'll take that. But
3: there's liberation there too, though, because yeah. if, if I know that we're in the same ballpark, mm. I have faith that we are right now. So that's what that, that liberates me because I know you're not going to. A hundred percent get what I'm talking about, anyway. Mm. But if you're, which means that, why would I take everything you say in response completely personally? personally. Yeah. So it, there is a real liberation in it because yeah, you know right. that the person's not ultimately going to understand what it's like to be you. Mm. But there's liberation in that. So I'd stop trying to convince them who you are, you know, because they're never really going to get it.
4: Mm. There's a bit of space in there for some self-love. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. Okay. Number four. Number
3: four. Uh, there's a this sort of it's a meeting of two concepts, which is freedom and responsibility. Um, which ties in with possibility, I guess, depending on where you access mm. this kind of thinking. Yep. Uh, and that is that beyond the restrictions of being human—meaning, if I jump off a building and flap my wings, I'm not going to fly. There's, and I have a bounded life in the sense yep. that I'm not going to live 189 years. Like, there's, there's this humanness stuff.
4: Unless Dean has it his way. Yeah, I mean, it's quite <laughs> interesting. We're all, we're
3: all here in the interest of extending our existence to some degree. You know, we're all here yep. to ward off death. Yeah, and so. So beyond these human limitations that we've been speaking of, the the freedoms and possibilities are virtually boundless. Mm. They're they're almost infinite beyond the human constraints. Mm. So we can do whatever we want. However, we are also intrinsically responsible for the the, the outcome of these behaviours or these freedoms.
4: Yeah, so this is a really interesting point to arrive in the conversation because on one hand you're suggesting that we're completely individuated, we're bound by this system of being human. Let's just call it a system, at the risk of sounding too computer at the Get Hacked event. Yeah,
3: totally.
6: Right?
4: Um, But then at the same time, you're saying the possibilities are limitless and infinite.
3: Within those boundaries, totally. Mm. Totally. You can do, I mean, and this is, so the existential position is that every single one of you right now is making a conscious choice to sit down and be quiet. Actually, I'll remove the word conscious. Is making a choice to sit down and be quiet. There's someone made a choice to bang something over there. Just to just to prove that you could all laugh and not be quiet.
4: Freedom of choice, in effect. You, you, all,
3: you all chose now to to laugh to some degree. You know, that's that's a socially sanctioned, appropriate reaction to that, to that uh, event. And that's I guess that's what unites us. We have these customs that we engage in. But nothing's stopping anyone right now from just standing up and yelling something. Controversial towards us. No, 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 nothing's stopping anyone from. I mean, you all made a decision to even come here today. Like, it, and once you start breaking it down, you realise that, that every single thing is a, is a choice. Mm. And then if you if you explore that across the lifespan, you, you're pretty hard pressed to blame anyone for, for where you're sitting right now. So it, it is. So people don't like to accept the magnitude of possibilities and freedoms because the responsibility that comes along with that is is terrifying to be honest
4: right so choice responsibility blame individuation freedom of expression all of that how does that help me better understand my anxiety
3: okay so the the position is Mm. that when we live with an awareness of these things Mm. we're having a conversation now with existential anxiety Mm. which and we understand that to be a rational experience
4: a rational experience
3: yeah based Mm -hmm. on there should be some uncomfortability around the fact that you know you're not going to live for I mean, I'm in my 40s. I've got 40, 40 years at best, right? There should be some uncomfortability about that mm-hmm. when I when I talk about it. Yeah. There should be some uncomfortability when I think about what I want in life versus the choices that I've made that haven't produced what I want. Mm. Because I was free to choose anything I wanted to do as long as as long as I was responsible for the actions that go with that. Because I can't blame anyone. Right. So all these things should promote an element of uncomfortability. Mm. That's not the uncomfortability generally that brings people into psychotherapy. What brings people into psychotherapy is is fundamentally neurotic anxiety. So my specialisation is I, I, I work with substance use. So neurotic anxiety quite often culminates in substance use, where you just you you have your drug of choice, uh, and you can put that you can take that outside of substance and put that into all sorts of things like shopping addictions, like any compulsive behaviour. Compulsive behaviours are designed to, to, to deviate you or to distract you from your anxiety. Mm. So then we've got a whole different problem because you're now engaged in a behaviour, even if it's like porn addiction or something like that, that in itself produces anxiety based on the biological repercussions. So you're now going down this kind of shitstorm of, of an anxiety rabbit hole and it becomes now about, well, how do we manage your porn addiction or how do we manage your substance use issue or how do we manage your anger problem or whatever it is. Which is a symptom which is a symptom of the fact that you don't want to have a conversation with yourself mm. about your ultimate responsibility when it comes to cultivating your own meaning, when it comes to living what we say authentically, which is following what's right for you, mm-hmm. which is, comes to actualizing your possibilities mm-hmm. and acknowledging that you are where you are based on the choices you made given the circumstances were put before you. Mm. And there's no one to blame.
4: Yeah. So the thing that excites me the most about this is when I put pen to paper, like, I have my own ambitions, mind me, um, to, to write out a TED Talk. Yeah. It was, the title was Stress is Your Ally, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And what I'm hearing in this is that actually anxiety is your ally because pretty much my perspective on stress is I would love to be stress in your life not because stress is good for you, yeah. but stress is a blessing because it's basically highlighting, hey, you're out of alignment, you're out of alignment, ruster, pull it in, pull yeah, it in, you know what I mean? Like the reason I'm like going to work and I'm hating my job and all this sort of stuff and it's causing this internal stress and angst, as yeah, you put yeah, yeah. it, is because I'm not in alignment with what it is that I'm put here to do, want yeah. to do, the meaning that I'm generating around it isn't serving me. Yeah. Um, but then you're saying the same thing that our anxiety is that like, is that form of stress that is yeah. actually pulling us into alignment. Totally.
3: totally. And so what we do with with that anxiety is there's, mm. to make it really in simplistic terms, what we do with that anxiety, that uncomfortability that we feel, is we give it a narrative for starters and we say I'm, I'm socially anxious or whatever it is and we, we have an elaborate story behind it.
4: Justifying it. it?
3: To to some degree, I mean, yeah. it's not necessarily justifying it when we say humans live in a meaningless world. Mm. The irony being that humans' are com- consciousness is constructed out of making meaning. Mm. So we 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 tell we tell narratives. You know, right. if, if you and I get up here. And if I tell a story, I bet you'd probably found the story about my dad more interesting than what I'm talking about now, because mm. it's well, as soon as we attach a narrative to it, it becomes a more compelling argument. Mm. So we're meaning-making creatures. We we can't avoid that. And so telling ourselves a story about our experience of anxiety—it's it's not a pathological experience. That's mm. just how we construct consciousness, and it's how we explain emotion. When something touches us, that's how we explain it in narrative mm. form.
4: Sweet. So we started in a really grounded place in terms of I'm feeling anxiety, there's BO coming off my body, right? Now we're like super existential, right? So at the same time, like integrating that into useful take home bits for like, I suffer with anxiety, obviously, for me, like, I know the breath is an amazing tool. But then how does this awareness like this meta awareness actually funnel into how do we incorporate this into what we can actually take home and better like those moments where Claire has, I'm asking this one for you, Claire, um, what does she do when she's feeling that anxiety?
3: Well, so so the the, the position being that anxiety is a call towards your authenticity. Mm. So the way of understanding our anxiety before showtime, for example, is that this really matters to me. So it's appropriate that I'm anxious about this. Mm. It matters. To, this just means a lot. Mm. So And what that would mean is... <laughs> I don't know who to address now. Hey, <laughs> are you guys on the couch? <laughs> and so, but, so what this means is it's from an existential position. We're, we're saying walk towards your anxiety. So your authentic self lies in confronting that anxiety. So to feel anxious before showtime says that your authentic self is perhaps on the, on the other side of that anxiety. So that's, that's a really clear way of understanding where walking towards your anxiety will actually pr- promote a more meaningful, authentic life.
4: So there's something in there. So I um I do a lot of work with Mindvalley and one of the co-founders yep. of Mindvalley, Vishen's wife, uh, Christina Lacchiani, she we had this really yummy chat and she talks about um how when she's about to go on stage, if she doesn't feel anxiety, she knows it's going to be shit. Yeah. For her, it's like, I don't have that. Like, it doesn't mean enough to me. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Whereas when I'm speaking to my partner, she's – so we did the Myers-Briggs test, right? And I'm 95% extroverted and she's 97% introverted, right? So we're, we're a match made in heaven. <laughs> Funny, that. She listens <laughs> and I talk. <laughs> Imagine what
3: my inner therapist is huh? thinking to now. Uh, uh, uh,
4: uh. But um, so in that space, for her, when she feels that anxiety, like even just thinking about coming yeah. up here and having a chat with you all like yeah. this, for her, it's like uh. – but it's reframing that is what you're saying, like in terms of really understanding yeah. and the existential perspective can help you enforce like you building the meaning that is actually happening in terms of that perspective.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think too um, in this age now of, I guess, biohacking where we're taking wellness mm. to, a, to a slightly different space, mm. for me existentialism becomes really relevant again because mm. it's about the bounded experience of being human. Mm. So this sack of meat that we are fundamentally has limitations, yeah? Yeah. And, and anxiety is one of them, that our central nervous system is regulated by our psychology. So how we how we perceive any event is going to influence our central nervous system's reaction. And so once we start understanding anxiety as that, that, oh, my central nervous system's been engaged because of my psychological state, because almost all psycholo- oh, stresses in our lives, our privileged mm-hmm. positions now as people living in Melbourne, uh, are psychological stresses. There's very few physical stresses that really... that are are stressful enough to cause an elevation in the central nervous system. It wasn't the last time you were chased by a tiger. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> <laughs> cool. about
3: that later. <laughs>
4: yeah that's that's a whole conversation to be had in terms of your psychology and how it impacts your nervous system totally you know, i totally want to park yeah. that so we can actually have a proper conversation on it i think we'll drop in later in the week and yeah definitely. flesh it out a little bit deeper just before we wrap things up anything you want to else you want people to take to take away in terms of existentialism or like helping them with their anxiety
3: I think the take-homes for me were, where it's, where this kind of way of thinking is most helpful is with anger and blame. So what we would say is that you have an experience of existential anxiety because you're not as authentic as you could be or you're not taking responsibility for your own behaviour. Mm-hmm. Uh, that generates anxiety. And the best way to cover that up is with either compulsive behaviours like hand-washing or looking at too much YouTube. Uh, but blame and anger, really, really, really good tell tales or call signs for the fact that you're actually not taking responsibility for your behaviour. So next time you blame somebody for something or you have a disproportionate reaction to the stimulus, which mm-hmm. is to get angry fundamentally, uh, check in with just, just hold yourself for a minute and check in and say, am I taking full responsibility for my behaviour at this point in time? And odds are you're not because we never do because it's almost impossible to do. But what we can do is challenge ourselves and question ourselves. And if you start having that conversation with yourself as opposed to my boss is a dickhead, it's, it's, it is it's a very, very a confronting but liberating space to be in. So that's, that's really the take home. Mm. Blame and anger are perfect uh, signposts to I challenge love- you to live more authentically.
4: I love that. So I'm just going to ask one more question, which is around, a lot of these people in this space, I'm just making a massive assumption, so pardon me everybody, um, we do a lot of work on ourselves yeah. right? and so we're happy to adopt that, you know, maybe there is an external reason why I'm blaming someone or that, you know, yeah. but what is the, does the existential perspective then continue to help you when there's someone external to you then yeah. blaming and being angry with you? Is there support in that space through this philosophy?
3: Yeah, So if you're you're blaming me for something, Mm. I can understand that as the fact that you're unwilling to take personal responsibility for your own behaviour from an existential standpoint. Mm. That's naturally going to generate existential anxiety, which you're choosing to cover up with blame and you're trying to shame me because you feel ashamed for the fact that you're not taking responsibility.
4: Do you run the risk of being magnanimous in some way?
3: Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, and this is why existentialism is not entirely embraced because mm. it it's closely sort of sits with nihilism and people think that, oh, no, you're just living a meaningless life where you don't take responsibility for anything and, and fuck the world I'll do whatever I want.
5: Mm.
3: Well, that is an option, I, but I have to also, I've got to bear all that fruit as well. You know, I work in the criminal justice system with a bunch of people who have come to that conclusion. And who are rolling the dice? I guess with what deviant behaviour looks like when you turn from the norm, mm. and there's some serious repercussions for that. So th- there are still mechanisms to keep us in line. Mm. It's just whether. You, but you, but you. The difference is, is that you're choosing it because you're having a conscious conversation with yourself about the power of choice and freedom, rather than saying, "I don't speed," because. Um, because I'm going to get a fine, for example. It's like, no, 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 I can get a fine. That's no big deal. I can drive Mm. as fast as I want. I'm making a choice based on something deeper. I'm making a choice based on human respect and the fact that I don't want to endanger myself, my children or anyone else in the community. That's a totally different reason for not speeding than I don't want to pay the fine. Same behaviour.
4: Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much for
5: sharing (laughs) that.
4: Welcome, what, what, welcome, welcome to the second, the second little bit to the same episode. This is a bit uh, surreal. So Tony Johansson, we're back um, after having done the first half of the episode at the Get Hacked, Get High event. Um, where we had a really deep conversation around getting hacked. And the key thing we were talking about, for those that are listening into the episode, you already know because you were just listening to it. But I guess for those tuning in and just to create some continuity, we were talking about anxiety and using existential philosophy in terms of actually healing that. And the fascination that I have being in this conversation is how something so nebulous, right, can really help with something so practical and it's something that speaks to me really deeply um being you know a coach and more just a philosophy philosophizing conversationalist is really what i find myself doing in my coaching conversations um and finding that that really does have immense benefits um in terms of yeah you know navigating your mental health and so really a treat to drop back in with you tony how are you
3: I'm I'm very, very good. I'm um I've already had a thousand ideas as soon as you
4: were talking. <laughs> <laughs> Start with number one and then we'll get through into number thousand, hopefully within the next little bit. <laughs> okay,
3: so number one and and um I'm picking up on semantics, but I'm a therapist, so that's what I do. Here we go. Um so just with the intro of healing anxiety, like it's, it's I guess it's managing anxiety or coming to terms with anxiety or reinterpreting anxiety. Mm. We're, the entry point from an existential position and the entry point for me as a as a psychotherapist and as a group facilitator and whatever else that I do, mm. um, we're never going to get rid of anxiety. We're going to learn to listen to it. We're going to learn to hear it for what it is. We're going to use it as a compass to our authenticity and as a signpost to, to living with a greater awareness of the limitations of the human experience, I guess, rather than healing it. I think that's one of the challenges is I think people enter into any sort of therapeutic or self personal development space with the hope, I guess, to eradicate rather than mitigate, reduce, manage.
4: Yeah, so this is a really this is a really deep conversation because it's one that I've been dancing with for quite a while myself. And actually one of the quotes that um I, you know, uh, you know, you and I can probably have a really deep conversation around this because on some level There is the conversation that, you know, reality is subjective, right? When you're talking about existential philosophy and so that I can choose whatever I want to believe to a certain degree, right? Now we were talking about this, the complete freedom to choose whatever it is that we want to believe, be, do, have, want, whatever. Definitely. But one of the realizations, and this seems to be a bit poignant and a bit, you know, uh, how do I put this? Leaves a bit of room to be desired, like like leaves room for things to be desired, is the conversation around. I'm not sure if we actually shed our demons, yep. or if we learn to live above them. You know, and this is just from my yeah, own yeah. personal experience of, um, yeah, legitimately from, yeah, a uh, a background with having been depressed, and you know, yep. I notice that when I'm stressed, hungry you know, left to my own vices or lacking this sleep, my mind naturally tends to gravitate towards, oh, I should have done that differently. Oh, and fuck, I should have done that. And, oh, maybe I yeah, should have done this yeah. this way. And it's like, and I'm like, one. and having the practice of observation and meditation is my m- The most grounding thing, you know, and it's been the biggest blessing, which is why I traveled the world, delivering seminars. I was recently in India, <laughs> between when you and I did the get hacked event. No, I on Facebook. I've got to catch
3: up with you, and I you you're
4: in India. So <laughs> Incredible, <go. laughs> yeah, right. So, like, you know, delivering seminars for C-level execs, 350 of them, just talking about mindfulness and meditation, the importance of it, and then delivering it for for Mind Valley clients in New Delhi as well. But mindfulness for meditation for me gives me that ground zero, that real like neutral space where I can actually observe myself in a meditation me that space of an observer to be able to identify that but then i can still see from that place of observation that my natural tendency is to is to kind of flick towards thoughts of the past so i kind of see myself as someone that suffers more from depression than anxiety right yeah i know Anxiety is about leaking into the future more often, like getting anxious about, oh, what's next, what's next, you know? And that's why the last six months getting coached by Eckhart Tolle, you know, presence, like being here and now is like, there's such a fundamental tool to help you through that. But I think what Definitely. you're what you're drawing at is really fun, like really key because – I guess I've been hoping to have this conversation with someone in terms of like, is that really a thing, you know, like if I can choose what I want to be, why don't I just choose that demons don't exist, you know, versus the other concept, yeah. the idea that, you know, actually, you know, what I've been finding is that actually the demons do exist. You just learn to live above them through cultivating epic practices for yourself.
3: Yeah, you do. You do. Definitely. Um, I think to, uh, to, to put an existential lens back on it. Once again, I had 1,000 awesome. ideas as you were speaking, but to put an existential lens back on it where, I mean, Nietzsche is one of my favourite existential writers. His, his autobiography is called Human All Too Human and it's, it really sort of sums it up that, that we're trapped in this human experience. Mm. And so when you say, well, you can't, you don't necessarily... um eradicate or, or resolve your demons, you learn to live above them, I think was the terminology you were, you were using. And these demons are the result of, of being human, of being biological creatures, of, of our earliest relationships, with our earliest caregivers. And the nature of those relationships leaves a, leaves a neurological imprint on the way we relate to every single person from that moment onwards, especially in deep, close, intimate personal relationships. So is that this, something this that's a
4: bit genetic or...?
3: No, it's, it's well. It's it's more epigenetics in the sense that it's it's there's there's our DNA that we're born with, mm-hmm. and then there's how our DNA reacts to the environment that we're delivered switched into. On, switched off. Yeah, 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 and so and so a lot of the work I do as well because I work you know um, with a lot of family violence and substance use. There's a lot of trauma in there. Is mm-hmm. is my expertise, I guess, in my background, and a lot of those. Um, a lot of those dysfunctional ways of relating were put in place or the building blocks were put there in utero for a lot of these people. So mm. their, 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 their mothers were exposed to high levels of stress, high levels of cortisol in utero. So already that developing brain is getting the message that there's something really scary going on out there yeah. and we need to be prepared. So from a neurological standpoint, your fight-flight responses, your amygdala, these kind of the reptilian parts of your brain and your neurology the energy's going there because your survival mechanisms need to be very robust according to the information that this developing baby this developing fetus has been given by the hormones being released by the by the mum fundamentally and then you get released into the environment or you know or or you know uh I guess you're burst for loss of better terms. you'll <laughs> <laughs> you'll <laughs> you become you know this is, this is how the existentialists would say you become yeah and then, uh, and that's your thrownness from an existential standpoint. You have nothing to do with any of this. You're thrown into this certain point in history, in these certain circumstances, with these certain sort of social constructs and historical constructs and agenda construct, and all this kind of stuff. This is there's nothing you can do about this at the point of birth. We're just thrown into this. Yeah. And then our neurology starts adapting, and our central nervous system starts adapting to that environment. So depending on what that environment is, it's going to influence greatly how we the, the scaffolding of our central nervous system and our fight flight response. So if that's an anxiety-provoking situation in the very early years, or if your first attachment figure, which is usually the mother, but I think these days it's quite different, you know, I think there's lots of guardians and fathers that can be primary attachment figures. If, if, they're, um, if they're not secure relationships, when you're really, 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 really young, that builds in a sense of, of distrust and all these kinds of things, and these things plague us for the rest of our lives. Of course. And so, yeah, you don't you can't eradicate your demons, but you can come to terms, If you can educate yourself about your early childhood relationships and how that's influencing the way you relate to people in in contemporary terms. At least you can understand. And once you can understand, you know, you sort of name it to tame it, I guess, for loss of better term. Mm. And once you understand, okay, this is my relational style because, what, I mean, as simple as I was talking to my mum about it years ago when I was studying um, Sigmund Freud and oral fixations and things like this, and I would consider yeah. myself to have an oral fixation. Like here I sit with a cup of tea. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's very rare that I don't have... Me too, treatment. I've got a microphone. <laughs> 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 and, and I was talking to mum about it flippantly, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, when I when I, we were moving when I took you off the breast, and, and I had the feeling it was just a bit too early for you. And in, in, in Freudian terms, that's, I mean, Freud would say that's where your oral fixation comes from. So the, right. the person, person A or person B who's more likely to chew chewing gum, chew the end of the pencil, smoke cigarettes, drink excessive amounts of alcohol, tea, water, blah, blah. And so I've done all those things over my life. I've always had an oral fixation. And I'm not saying that that was the cause of it, but according to Freudian theory, that's that's the genesis is, mm. what, was I soothed orally enough or, or I still got a deficit and that deficit is going to plague me? Mm. So a lot yes. of this stuff gets put in place really, really, really early.
4: Yeah, it's fascinating. I did some research in terms of um, like being like what, where you're at when you're a child and I might be quoting some things a little bit off, but the, I think the fundamental theory um, should speak to what I'm trying to articulate is we spend – Apparently the ages like, cause humans are born most premature of any species. Yeah. Like we're actually gestating outside of the womb technically yeah. once we're born and we're actually going through and they, they map that through the, the Delta wave, the Delta wave frequency that we're going through, which is actually yeah. the, the same one that the same wave pattern that's um, associated with when you, when you go into hypnotic states. So when you're hypnotized, yeah. right? Cool. And so in those early four years of your life, you're actually in a hypnosis right you're taking things yeah. on and this is why you're a sponge and you can learn so much but then this is where like i believe a big part of epigenetics actually comes into it because you're just things are just switching on and off in your dna because you're just like ah reality you know click 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 yeah. you know dad loves mum, mum loves dad great happy home you know dad threw something at mum, mum threw something at dad not a happy home boom certain things switch on certain things switch off your flight and fight yeah. your, autonomic, your autonomic nervous system which we had some chats about last time you know they respond in different ways um, it's a really, really fascinating gambit. And then the more and more I coach, you know, like coaching is all about looking forward to the future, but then you realize that then, you know, it's hard to look, always look forward in the future unless you resolve some of the things in your past, you know, and that's what counselling totally. and stuff comes into it. Um, but just realizing that these things, you know, they're so, they're so, um, I don't want to use subtle. They're almost got a finesse. To them, when you start to like pick them apart from when they first got yeah, installed, yeah. similar to the way you were just yeah. describing, you know, like I've got an oral fixation, and there was this awareness between yourself and your mother that, like, hey, like maybe that's where it came from, you know? Yeah,
3: yeah. And look, the thing is, it's a, it's a, it's a psychological theory. It's a well-respected psychological theory. It's one of the older psychological theories from one of the oldest psychological theorists. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And so, so the question is, if we go back to an existential lens again, the question is. Is it accurate? Does it matter? Well, well if it if it brings me peace and helps me understand myself and, and helps me yeah then who gives a shit you know Dude, I mean? like,
4: like I can't I can't stress that enough like I <laughs> I love you I love you because like no legitimately like you know the the whole idea behind like philosophy is about life lived well right like that's kind of what I yeah. see it as like if you're gonna adopt philosophy it's about living life well right fundamentally and I can almost argue that's what inspired evolution is like live the life you love is live life well right yeah and yeah. and again and again like in my coaching sessions like in the conversations we have. I kind of feel like we end up, like, and I kind of dissect why are we talking so deeply to philosophy? But the reality is, yeah. it's philosophy that you know, like, you can choose exactly how you articulated it in the previous conversation was, we can choose our model of reality. We can totally yeah. choose, right? The the stark contrast of that then becomes, that like if I can choose what it is and I can absolutely do what I want to do and I can, like, yeah. the question is just, does it serve you? And I'm just going to steal some of the airtime here if you don't mind. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of the things, like, I've got my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Oral fixation coming in handy. <laughs> but the bit was like, um, like conspiracy theories, right? So I'd go on this yeah. like because when you start looking at philosophies, you start getting really curious. Like curiosity is like this fundamental tenant that you have when you're like embedded yeah. in philosophy, right? And so I started like researching some of these, um, I guess, conspiracy theories. And let's just start with the easiest one, right? I started researching, uh, okay, so money, like where does it come from? Yeah. And yep. I was like, actually, wait a sec, the banks are a private institution. Oh, that's interesting. And it's like, oh, wow, the banks are a private institution. Governments are then run by these private institutions because they're controlling where government funding comes in. So, whoa, okay, wait, hang on a sec. So there's this private institution called banking central banking system and wow maybe we're having wars in countries where there aren't central banks that are associated with this banking system well that's a bit interesting and so i started going into these rabbit holes and even as i'm saying that these are very interesting like i find i can see yeah. my curiosity and my interest going wow this is fascinating like why is this but then i had to like that's just one example of like let's just say 20 different t- like conspiracies that like i started realizing yeah. I was informing myself and awareness like name it to tame it, absolutely. Um, but the conversation for me, I had to do a lot of work on myself after that like six to 12-month period where I started trying to get hyper aware of things that yeah. were bigger than me and I realized actually yeah. these things are bigger than me. I'm not yeah. entirely sure how much they serve my day-to-day conversation because I was legitimately walking around pessimistic as fuck when I was <laughs> like like legitimately when I was like money yeah. like money is just like it's it's artificially generated. Now the conversation I have myself, it's, it's money is, is a tool for exchange, right? Someone's like, yeah. orchestrating that and looking after that in terms of how we have the energetic exchanges. Absolutely. Does someone need to be mindful of that? Absolutely. But for me in a day-to-day, money is a tool for energetic exchange, right? And that yeah. conversation empowers me to actually deal with money in a really, really good, strong, healthy way. Right, and so I choose to that to be the conversation that I have. Now, does yeah. that mean I'm neglecting it? Well, I don't know, but like fundamentally, it comes back to what you were just saying, right? And hence why I stole a little bit of airtime was just say, like, does this serve me? I think is a really deep conversation to have, right? Like any yeah. philosophy, does it serve you?
3: Most definitely, and and I think uh, I love to your, your intro talking about um, how much philosophy is present in the coaching work you do um and i i consider myself as, as a therapist too I, I have a lot of philosophy present in in the therapy i do and it's not it's it, and it, it's quite stylistic in the sense that not not every counselor or therapist brings that, as much philosophy in uh, I, I imagine not every coach brings as much philosophy in as yeah. well and philosophy was the original psychology you know this is sort of these these especially the schools in in ancient greece they, they these schools were based around becoming high, highly evolved and living mm. peaceful lives, and 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 managing the challenges of being human, mm. and where we, um, in contemporary terms now, yeah, I think we are incredibly ignorant when it comes to not recognizing that we're standing on the shoulders of giants at any given point in time about any about any um, <sighs> any any strain of thought, any concept, any any of the symbols that we engage with or worship, we tend to yeah. think they're new and that we're the smartest and that this has never really happened before. Do you and think so our you innovation in science and a
4: plays a role with that?
3: Well, was, you know, in like 18, the 1800s, they wanted to close the patent office because they thought everything had been discovered already
4: <laughs> hey the dude that invented the toaster said there was nothing left to invent and that was That's before it. cars <laughs> so, best thing since sliced bread, apparently nah, now no, i can toast it we're done <laughs>
3: oh, i'm at that so, age now where i've got to i've got to come to terms with my relationship with bread you know <laughs> 40, it's, like, it's not as much fun as it used to be <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> yeah. when, um, when you were talking about money and you were saying, um, you know, that we can, you can go down this, I mean, you can call it a conspiracy theory or you can just call it, um, I guess, an, an accurate historical tracking of, of the genesis of money and, and what money can do and what money can achieve as far as power and, 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 and social, either divisional, cohesion, all this kind of stuff. Then you go, oh, hang on. You go down this rabbit hole and you're like, oh, but it's all just arbitrary. It doesn't make any sense. You know, why am I getting so stuck? What isn't in our society? Like what really, what, what isn't arbitrary? It's all arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And it's the meaning that we choose to place on certain things that then makes it meaningful to us. And then that then determines, I guess, <laughs> the, the tribes or the herds that we travel in, because hopefully there's some kind of collective meaning. And, and you know, like we go to get high, get hacked, but everybody in there places meaning on, on, on a, on a, uh, an event like that, hence the fact they turned up. Mm. but but really that's just it's 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 no more or less important than i don't know like a heavy metal concert down the road where there's a whole other bunch of people you know but that's their kind of thing that's their jam that's what unites them. that's what brings their tribe together Mm. and i sometimes not sometimes i often think that we grossly overestimate how important things are they're important because we deem them to be Mm. And I think people forget that. Once you come to terms with that, from an existential standpoint, that nothing really has inherent meaning beyond survival Mm. and that the meaning is the meaning you ascribe to it, Mm. then you can also retract or, or, or remove or reduce that meaning if it's causing you distress as well. So you can play with that.
4: It's really profound how you've just summed up Viktor Frankl's man search for meaning in two sentences. <laughs> you, just like long longer, you, just, you just did it like that. You just you just you just did it like that. <laughs> two sentences, mate. What an art. I love it. I've got I've I've got a couple of key questions for you and yes. you know like um and this is framed with the idea that, you know, the Inspired Evolution is a lot about documenting people's journeys, also about, like, how they're living life on their own terms, right, so that yep. other people are then fundamentally inspired to live life and execute on their dreams. Yep. Um, now, we we know a little bit about, you know, you had some challenges with your brother and through the past, and, you know, so we spoke yep. about that a little bit. But I really want to, like, the gravitas of, you know, just the fact that you flagged it previously just then was, you know, philosophy and psychology. You know, some of these oldest institutions for psychology were actually philosophy philosophy schools, right? Yeah, totally. And, you know, like, again, you kind of called it out. Like, yeah, I don't actually see Like, coach is a gross term that kind of fits what I do. But generally, I'm just on, yeah. the, I'm on the journey with the client is legitimately how I approach it. It's just yeah. conscious conversation. And we just kind of go wherever the the topic goes. Are there people that, you know, have an outcome ascribed to what they want in the coaching? Absolutely. But generally, like uh, this has been a real blessing. Some people have just been coming from the podcast saying, I don't know why we're just meant to have chats. And whatever your fee is, let's just go and have this chat and see where this takes me, right? And it's like, wow. Yeah. And the, the things that we've been able to explore just with no agenda, just on, yeah. on philosophy has been incredible, incredible. And I'm learning as much as they are in these conversations, right? Yeah. Because we're just going deep and like picking apart the inner workings of the mind, the being, the spirit, the body to see where it goes. And it's so effective, it's so yeah. incredibly effective. Touch wood, right? Like, and I'm completely humbled by the process. The question I've got is: Does it surprise you that this is surprising for many people?
6: Yes.
4: Like, like, let's just say, like, you know, you're you're, yeah. you're 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 doing the work you are in society at the moment. There's a lot of spaces existential philosophy is moving in to help with anxiety, right? You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're getting grants. You're working with the government and stuff like this. And all of a sudden, some some level, it feels kind of novel. Yeah, do you it's, know what I mean? It's
3: interesting. Yeah, it is because we've got a very very medicalized view of consciousness, mm. and and I think we, I think we're, I think we're best served when it comes to understanding ourselves, and when it comes to not necessarily personal growth, it's not necessarily an expansion, maybe it's just an acceptance. It's probably a better way of understanding it. Mm. I think what we're best served is understanding the difference. And I'm sure that you would sit in this space with the work you've been doing as well. The difference between the brain and the mind and how one influences the other and that one is a is a physiological biological organism
6: Mm.
3: and the other is a metaphysical construct being the mind. And that they have this they have this dance and this interplay but they one is always influencing the other and there's this sort of symbiotic, symbiotic dance that they do. And I, I think that philosophy is the missing piece. When we, only, when we come at it with a medicalized psychological view, we quite often become over-deterministic based on the physiology of the brain, the mm-hmm. organism that is the brain, and we underestimate the power that philosophy can bring to the mind. And it's that metaphysical mind that assists the, the, the physical brain with changing. That's the, I mean that's what mindfulness is. Use your mind to change your brain.
6: Mm.
3: And and I think with the absence of philosophy in in therapeutic work or in 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 personal growth work, philosophy better turn, I, I think I think it's only half the picture. Mm. And when you say, Does it surprise me that this is surprising? Yeah, it does, because this stuff's been around. Like Heraclitus, it was like 7,000 years ago when he, said, yeah. when he said a man can never step in the same river twice, for you are never the same man that's never the same river. That was 7,000 years ago, man. So profound. Or maybe six, I don't know. But like, so <laughs> give or take a couple of hundred years. <laughs> Whatever, you know. Sort of
4: yeah. Don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call is, me this out.
3: Is, this is, is pre-toaster, yeah. you know. This is pre-toaster. Cool. <laughs> <is pretty> <laughs> and, and, and yet here we are with exactly the same challenges yeah and this is and, and gender looks completely different social mm. constructs look completely different the, there's, there's uh, money looks mm. completely different sovereign states borders look completely different all these kinds of things that we think are so relevant and intrinsic to our individual experience of existence we think these things are the big meta issues yeah when it doesn't matter at what point in history you take all the external stuff the sociological stuff looks very very different yet mm-hmm. here we are coming down to the very same. Human, the, the very same challenges, the very same existential mm. challenges. So I think we overthink our environment and and underestimate the limitations of being human, and that these existential concerns, really, they've been plaguing us or or asking us to question them mm. since, hum- since humans had consciousness. And I, I don't think we pay that enough credit. I think we get a bit too caught up in the bread and circuses that is contemporary society
4: yeah i love that and i think you mentioned the word acceptance earlier as well and i think that's where there's so much room to do that work of in terms of can i you know move towards this with you know some form of grace and that's where acceptance plays a key role um and one of the one of the Questions that Lynn comes up for me personally a lot as well. And so I'm just, I've got the sounding board in you, so I get to ask. <laughs> yeah. So glad you're here. So, Tony, um, I do get that sense, you know, that, you know, we've, we've always suffered and suffered is an interesting word or been plagued or whatever, you know, like experienced is probably the best word <laughs> to use. Experience the same challenges throughout. Like, why are we here is still a question that is yeah. as relevant as it was like, 6,000 years ago as it is to me I mean, today, here and now, yeah. right? Um, I'm still not any closer to answering it, you know? Like, we've dissected yeah. the atom, you know, we've split the atom, yeah. we've, we've spent people to the moon, we're, we're not getting any closer to answering it. Yeah. Um, I mean, as if
3: it, building the pyramids wasn't enough, we didn't <laughs> need to do much
4: more than that, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right? So, we've, we've like, an, consistently on this journey, um, yeah. but somehow... I'm also aware that the, the the scientific, the brain conversation that we're having these days, not the yeah. mind conversation, which I love yeah. the way you you delineated that for us. Thank you so much, brother. That's yeah, no that's a massive nugget of gold. In I, itself. I think
3: I think yeah, I think if you put that in your back pocket, people oh, if you're listening, it's, yeah, it'll change the way you you it'll change the way reality unfolds,
4: perceives. Yeah, and next year I'm doing a, a whole course with heart math based on the fact that they yeah, like, cool. you know about the work and yeah, they're like, they're yeah, like yeah. the mind is also like, like in the heart. It's also in the gut yeah. and like measuring the frequency of mind that's emerging as opposed to, and it's like bringing math to like this exercise. Yeah. And I digress. My Definitely. question was um, around this key thing about the, the brain conversation is saying yeah. that we're having more and more anxiety and depression are more rampant now. One in yeah. two, they say almost, It's more rampant now than it's ever been before. Um, So we do face the same challenges on one hand that we've always had, right? But then those challenges becoming more widely adopted or more widely experienced. Um, Yep. Yep. Yeah. Most
3: definitely. I would agree with that. I think there's... Am I asking
4: you to speculate by asking you why or...?
3: uh, I mean, yes, largely, I guess. I mean, I I can talk about what I experienced clinically. However, I, I work with the complex end of society, so it's mm. I do I do work in quite a nuanced field. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's two really simple ways of explaining it.
6: Mm.
3: I think I think fundamentally consciousness exists. So if you think if you look at humans as a, as, a, as an organism as, as a species, you know I, I don't have any claws. You know my teeth are pretty flat. <laughs> I can't run. I can't run very fast compared to most land mammals. You know. Mm. We're quite useless when it comes to feeding ourselves. But what we can do is create elaborate social networks. And what we can do is use our incredibly large brains mm. to think of really clever ways of catching prey, building shelter, all this kind of stuff, sustaining social relationships, all this kind of jazz, you know? Yep. So the, the, I think the challenge that humans face now is that we have probably uh, our ability to, to, to create cohesive networks and communities and then leverage off that on from a scaffolding in order to once that sort of capitalist ideal, and I don't mean this in an economic sense, I mean this in the sense that once humans figured out that if they don't eat all of that animal today, then there's some left tomorrow.
6: Yep.
3: Right? If I cook this, it'll last two days as opposed to lasting one day. Mm. If I salt this, it'll last five days. So this then started giving us time, which means we started thinking and then we created more elaborate cultures mm. because the brain doesn't stop. So you do mindfulness and you're, you're uh, I guess... What, what you're trying to assist people with doing is understanding that the brain doesn't stop, so just learn to play with those thoughts mm. because it, you can't turn it off. You can just kind of witness it. Yeah. And so what happens from a societal standpoint is w- the easiest way to, to, to make reality feel cohesive is to create meaning. Mm. And so that's what we do. When we create more and more elaborate societies. And so the challenge I think we've got now is that we're living in this incredibly blessed time where we don't, really, we don't really need to do anything in order to... Look, like if you think of everything that we do to, to feed ourselves is quite arbitrary, really. Not many of us are actually growing vegetables or hunting and gathering. Yeah. It's just very, very... Uh, you know, Karl Marx would describe it as being completely alienated, We're completely mm. alienated from the act of survival now. We're so far removed from the act of survival. Yeah. the existential and even the Marxist position is that the further removed you get from the task at hand, the more anxious, depressed, and alienated you will become. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so, for instance, back in, the, back in the golden era, I might yep. have been Tony the, watch, the watchmaker, yeah, and it might yep. take me a year to make a watch. And then I'd walk around my village and mm. you'd walk past and you'd have one of my watches on, man, boom, you know, and I would have this kind of sense of connection, sense of mm-hmm. meaning, sense of purpose that something I'd made that, you know, it's then
4: serving someone
3: that you can see someone else, and I yeah. can see it and it's all this kind of stuff. And then we figure out sort of factory line um, economics, Manufacturing, and you know, yep. totally. And so the guy with the most money says, "Look, Tony, I know you're a really good watchmaker. What I want you to do though, is just make the springs, because I figure if you can make the springs as fast as possible, we'll get someone else to make the bands, and then together the guy at the end of the chain can put the watch together." I okay, go, "Great, this sounds awesome." You know, here we go. This is sort of this is the new industrial revolution. Mm. So now I'm just making springs. So I'm a watchmaker who just makes sprints. I never get mm. to see the final watch. Yeah. I never get to see anyone wear my watch. I have no attachment to the watch whatsoever. Mm. And so our lives are largely like that now. We're so alienated from the work we do. You know, you and I do slightly different work. But if I'm doing data entry for, I don't know, for Microsoft or something, like I'm mm. so far disconnected from what the actual end product is. Yeah. I have no connection to the people that are using it. There's no sense yeah. of community. It's just all arbitrary. And that, yeah. I think that creates anxiety. And then... We also have very elaborate bureaucracies now that take care of everything, which means our sense of personal responsibility has been stripped from us. We've sort of, I guess, the powers that be have determined that we're, we're no longer yep. responsible. Everyone can wear a seatbelt. Everyone can.
4: Yeah, a, a and if you gun, roll your ankle in possible. a pothole, you can sue someone. <laughs> totally,
3: <laughs> totally. And so the absence <laughs> of personal responsibility. So the existential position, you know, Jean-Paul Sartre, who's another one of my favourite existential writers and philosophers, his his position is when it comes to freedom and sort of limitless possibility, is that the way he the way he terms it is that we're condemned to be free. So this is not a, necessarily a pleasant thing.
6: <laughs>
3: Tell me more about it. So if you. you think so, if you think of being condemned to be free, and freedom and responsibility are intrinsically entwined, you can't get rid of them. Yeah, because mm. I'm 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 free to do pretty much anything that the human organism is possible that is possible for the human. Mm. However, I, I, can't, I can't disconnect my responsibility for the actions and the repercussions yeah. of that. And I'm also, I can't disconnect my choice to choose option A over the infinite amount of options. So in therapy, I'll say, what I'm hearing you say at the moment is that you're really interested in going to wherever. And I'm also hearing you say that it's not a good idea because of whatever. And you go, yeah, I just don't know what to do. And I'll go, so, you, so you're, you're choosing not to make a decision. And people always look at me blankly. And I'm like, indecision is a choice.
4: Yeah. It's a big one. It's a big conversation, yeah. that one.
3: And, so, and, so, and this is where we're condemned to be free. You can't do anything without it being a choice because there's always another option, if not an infinite amount of options.
6: Mm.
3: And we now have a society with the robust bureaucracy and governance that colludes with our desire not to be responsible it take, it, it, it's like, okay, we'll take responsibility of that. We'll take responsibility of that. We'll take responsibility of kids. We'll, we'll do after-school care. No, 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 you don't need to worry about this anymore. It's all under control. We've got a new system for this. We've got a form for that. We've got, the society we live in continues to assist us with trying to outsource responsibility. And most people's pathological states, most people's states of unrest come from trying to alleviate the burden of responsibility, and we now live in a society that encourages us to do that. So when you say, I know this is a long answer, are people more anxious? Yeah, man. The only way to manage anxiety is to take responsibility for your freedoms and your choices. And we live in a society that encourages us to outsource our responsibility. So that's it's a profoundly it's a profoundly pathological state. Right, I can see you've got an idea, so I'm gonna stop.
4: Yeah. So the key thing that you were speaking to there that was really profound for me was um, this whole idea of. By the way, I love I love everything you shared. And because the key, like my highest my highest value is connection. Like connection is my highest value. And I know it just sounds like connection. It's like, oh yeah, Amrit's having a conversation with Tony. Yep, Amrit's doing his thing. He's in connection. But no, it's it's way deeper than that. It's exactly what you shared before in terms of like you no know, like if I'm creating something and there's like the potentially potential to connect like i'm the watchmaker i can actually connect with the emotions of the person that's built that's wearing that watch you know that idea of being in service is 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 fundamentally connected to that idea of connection me like taking a moment out to just embrace the sun in the morning is me connecting right it's me walking home from the city but like going through the park and taking my shoes off so i'm barefoot in the earth instead of wearing shoes is connection right so connection in every like just the like finding meaning in things during connections, yeah. creativity is all about connections. So connection speaks to me on every level. And I think the really profound thing is what you just labeled in terms of anxiety. And hopefully we can follow my <laughs> thread of my head along <laughs> on this one is connection being so fundamental. And yet with the capitalistic society and the model that we're in is what I'm hearing is that, you know, we've become more and more specialist. Yeah. You know, we've become more and more specialized in all the things that we're doing. Like, you know, Yes, I'm, I'm just focused on the spring, you know, and so you're focused on yeah. the band, which I love that metaphor, by the way, and then this other dude's putting them together at the very end, and maybe he's the only one that really gets to see them come together, yeah. right? So in that space, then you've got this, like, weird disconnect on so many levels from the work that you're producing, the joy that you get from producing the work that you're doing, and then that fundamentally is causing this anxiety because you don't experience the emotions, the the fundamental intrinsic reward that is inherently built into our makeup. And I find yeah. this fascinating because again and again, like we see these things where people are like, oh, paleo diets or actually we're meant to be vegetarians, you know, because our guts are wired yeah. a certain way. And it's almost like there's this nostalgia about going back to the way things were. And I'm almost like, guilty of, of suffering from that from time to time, right? But I do yeah. see that in the past, like survival, pre-industrial age, you had to be more of a generalist. Like I didn't have someone to do my accountings; so I had to manage yeah. books, right? If yeah. I had a dispute with someone, I didn't have a lawyer, I had to manage my conversations yeah. and my communications. with. People. And you
3: couldn't send them an angry email either. You to to
4: <laughs> right, like face-to-face. Face. Yeah. I didn't have someone like to come and do my garden, yeah. right? Probably. I had to learn how to grow my plants. I was a, like my effectiveness as an individual in society meant how good of a generalist I yeah. was. I need to up-level all and aspects of that And that, included,
3: that, that included communication mm. as well. If, if I was your friend, yeah? I would have to ring your parents on the landline in order to get in contact with you. <laughs> so yeah. even, even to have a relationship as a seven-year-old with another seven-year-old person, I still yeah. have to negotiate adults. Mm. And we do all that for our kids now. Yeah, I've, I've texted my son's best mate's mum and it's all organised and I'm going to pick them up there and she's going to drop them off and we do all that and the kids then just come along for the ride. And so we're at a very, we're indoctrinating our children at a very early age to take little to no responsibility for anything because we've, we've invested in this myth that somehow pain is something to avoid. Now suffering is something to challenge and to mitigate and to manage. Pain is inevitable. Mm
6: -hmm. And
3: it's, it's the suffering that that we induce by our psychological relationship to pain. That's the bit that we should be focusing on, not the fact that, that being human is painful. That's, that's unavoidable. Schopenhauer is another philosopher. He's like this whole happiness myth, the best you can hope for is the absence of suffering. You know?
6: mm. That's his
3: position. I and mean, the Buddhists have got this, this beautiful second arrow theory. Is, yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. It's like life's going to fill you full of arrows, man. You don't need to fire any more at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, but we, we sell this myth not just to our kids but to everyone, you know, that pain is somehow avoidable now because we've transcended all these basic human needs like shelter and food and all this kind of stuff. We've got this abundance going on. And and with that, I think comes this myth that somehow pain is undesirable or is best avoided. And and so to go right back to the start of the conversation, when when we're talking about these existential concerns like death and freedom and isolation and meaninglessness, we now have a society. It's like I oh, yeah, don't really think about that. Mm. <laughs> and my position is, if you don't think about that, that's why everyone's suffering from neurotic anxiety—basically, anxiety about fucking nothing.
6: Mm. because
3: they're not thinking about the something, the real things. And if you Mm. don't address these real concerns, the fact that how are you using your unbounded freedom? How are you using your finite life that's Mm. coming to an end as we speak? (laughs) How are you using your idiosyncratic meaning structure? Every single thing that pisses you off and brings you joy is based on either a meaning structure that you've borrowed, adopted, or created. Mm. But it's your relationship to that meaning structure and that arbitrary object whatever that's eliciting that response. You can't blame anyone for that. If you're attached to something, it's because you chose it to be meaningful or you chose to accept society's narrative that it's meaningful. Mm. But either way, if you're experiencing suffering on top of your unavoidable pain... It's because of your attachment and your meaning structure, which is unique to you, and it's your burden and your responsibility to come to terms with that, to shift, to mitigate, to challenge that meaning structure. All these things, there's no escaping them, and we live in a society that is constantly trying to convince us that we can
4: outsource the responsibilities, and we can't. It's never been done. It's never going to be done. Mm. I'm, I'm having a that aware. moment again. I've got like <laughs> these thousand thoughts coming through. Like every time you talk, it's like because oh, like pain and suffering is such a deep conversation, you know. And, and I think you've you've articulated it so well. And again, another epic thing to put in our back pockets like yeah like suffering is self-induced you know and pain is pain yeah. like even having even just triggers around saying pain is inevitable but then how do you show up is your choice it's that whole thing around the conspiracy theories again right like how okay so if money's gonna be like this how do i show up in and around this you know like what's yeah. my relationship gonna be yeah. so i think that's really potent but where i want to go this <laughs> <Yes>. segue <laughs> is yeah, i yeah, you know, when you just said there's two different types of like, yes, there's your like your meaning that you put on things and then perhaps it's yep. the collective meaning. Yep. The conversation around how frequently I find that, and this ties in perfectly with the conversation we're having around responsibility because how quickly and how frequently these days, and perhaps I just say these days because I'm alive in this day and time and I don't know the past yeah, time, yeah. so complete disclaimer, asterisk on that, right? In these days, we're ready to absolve our responsibility and for thinking for whatever to absorb the collective dogma right so like the collective way of thinking and like a lot Mm. of the work i end up doing is just like wait hang a sec like society has these bullshit rules and one of the companies i I work a lot with is mind valley and they call it the culture scape it's legitimately a landscape culture that's like boof, like you can actually feel it. And one of the, my favorite examples is when I'm sitting on a tram, right, uh, when I'm standing yeah. on a tram and someone's sitting, like say a young, young, young guy sitting, he's on his phone, he's playing yeah. video games, right, maybe he's about 10 years younger than I am, and this elderly lady sits like standing, holding a pole right in front of him, right? I have this visceral internal like thing which is like, dude, get up out of your <laughs> seat and give it to her, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm aware, like I'm feeling this, I can genuinely feel this. But on some level, I don't know if he's got like, you know, a broken foot, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm just okay. making these assumptions that like dude yeah. you're doing the wrong thing and I can feel that that's actually my belief systems that's something yeah. that like you know collectively as a society we decided that you know like we show respect to our elders and this is what we're going to do now does it have positive things to it? Absolutely they're the wisdom keepers yeah. right and yeah, we can so- almost have another conversation around the disconnect around like the way we treat our elderly by sticking them into nursing homes and putting all that wisdom away when they're the ones that are the philosophers of our time and we don't even give them yeah, space nice, definitely a whole nother conversation but the, the fact is that like we're we're so ready to take on society's meanings for in place of like generating our own queries our own meetings having our own conversations yep. around the things yep. that we want to have
3: yeah definitely i think um i'm gonna i'm gonna pull back to the trans thing because I, I too have those moments and um mm. once i started studying um Once once I started training up to to work more in a more nuanced way with family violence, particularly with men that perpetrate family violence against women and children, um, a lot of of that training, I guess, is becoming quite an astute feminist and understanding power differentials within society, especially along gender lines, Mm. and and understanding how, I guess understanding how social constructs can uh, can, can prioritize, I guess, a, 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 power dynamic for certain groups and not others. Mm. Uh, and so after, after sort of going down that rabbit hole, I became acutely aware of the privileges that I'm afforded, especially as a white middle aged man. And it's very rare that I sit down on public transport since that. I've started that journey about three, four, three years ago, four years ago, tonight. I don't know. I, I will, even on empty trains, like if I get on the start of the line, I'll just stand because I know there's going to be people that have, that are coming on who could do with a seat and in the grand scheme of things, my life's pretty good. And so yeah. it's, it's sort of how I challenge my own privilege, I guess. I mean, it's a very, very small, a very, very small thing to, to, to offer up. You know, I'm not, not claiming that, I'm not trying to take a moral high ground here, but I've become acutely aware of exactly the things that you talk about. Yeah. And so, so what's interesting though, from an existential standpoint, you sit there and you go, I'm feeling this discomfort because this young guy won't move. Mm. And there, there's an older person who deserves a seat, in, in your opinion, according to your mean structure.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: You're feeling discomfort, yeah? So I'm always doing, can you see that? I'm always doing this with clients, you know, can you feel <laughs> it. <laughs> That's, and so this is what we refer to as the comfort to your authenticity. So your authentic self is being questioned. Mm. And you can feel it, it's a visceral thing. And so rather than feeling anxious and creating a narrative about this guy being a prick, which is usually what we do. We go to the path of least resistance because the brain, not the mind, yeah. the brain is interested in efficiency. It's interested in, in, in seeing phenomena and creating meaning as quickly as possible through schematic thinking, through cognitive biases, through all these kinds of things. And so the, that's what the brain's going to do. The brain's always going to arrive at the fastest conclusion as soon as possible because that's how we survive. That's how we fucking age. That's how it works. You know what I mean? And so to become acutely aware of that, and instead of going with the first narrative, which is this guy's a little prick and he should just get out of his seat, what I hope for people and for myself is that that straight straight away that feeling of uncomfortability, I check in with that pretty quick, and I go, ah, something meaningful is happening for me. That's why I'm experiencing discomfort, and then it becomes a more playful situation, and I can liberate myself from the unhelpful helpful narrative I've got for that young person, and mm. start to interrogate my own meaning structure. Yeah, and then so in that point, I'm like oh this is really uncomfortable because i know i want him to move because of my meeting structure his meeting structure says i don't give a shit or maybe who knows this is where people
4: like oh you're a mindfulness teacher you must be like zen all the time and it's like no i'm just aware of all the shit that's going on inside that's all it is is. you
3: you know what i think mindfulness is at the end of the day it's it's, I had a really good conversation with a friend of mine I played in rock and roll bands with and, and, and he experiences anxiety all over the place and I'm like, yeah. you know, mindfulness in most realms is great for people that, that haven't got anxiety disorders because it's, mm. it's such a challenge yeah. to live mindfully. And I, I think we're almost, I don't have mindful practice, I try and live mindfully. Mm. And, and so that's what I'm articulating here about this kind of train scenario. But, so the existential position is it's your meaning that's going to determine what your course of action is. Mm. So you make the decision, let's say hypothetically, not to say anything because you understand that he's entitled to his meaning structure. You're also making an assumption for the older, older person that their meaning structure demands they want the seat. Maybe they choose mm. to stand anyway. Who knows?
6: Mm.
3: And so, you, so when we talk about subjective truths, here's the objective truth. Oh, I can determine your meaning by your action.
6: Mm. So for the
3: fact mm-hmm. that you didn't do anything yes. or did do something, yeah. Everything else is just bullshit.
6: Yeah. It's
3: the act truth as Nietzsche would say, truth is action. Mm. So if you chose not to say anything at that point in time for whatever oh, reason, so then bad. then you placed more meaning on on inertia or or, or passive resistance or however you, however you want whatever you want the story to be. Then you placed more meaning on that because that's what you did. And everything else is just bullshit. Uh, and yeah. we're we're not overly interested in that conversation in this society, I don't think. Mm. You don't need to tell me what you think because I just watch you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all there. This, this, is, this is meaningful because we're both doing it, yeah?
6: Yeah,
3: absolutely. So I can say, oh, no, this is just self-promotion. This is whatever. But th- th- there's meaning attached to it because it's mm. almost infinite the amount of things I could be doing with my Saturday morning right now or Saturday Absolutely. As, as yeah. for you.
6: Yeah.
3: It's the same with the choice of clothes that you wear, same with the, the top of tea teabag I put in here. Like every single thing and to mm. live existentially, in my opinion, is is to continually be aware of of the choices that you engage in at every given moment and that these choices are informed by what shines forth and what shines forth to you is, is the parts of reality that, that are the most illuminating based on your current meaning structure.
5: Mm.
3: And so all of it's a manifestation of how you see the world and it's really hard to outsource that and blame other people. All blame is, is a, is a response to not taking responsibility.
4: Yeah. So I love that, Tony. So the next query that I then have is for someone tuning in, how do they then navigate themselves through the overwhelm of that amount of responsibility? So I this know is, for me it's like I, I try and have yeah. as much fun with it as I can. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. t- I, that, that's
3: my position largely is, and, and the existentialists themselves will say that you can't live in this state for eternity. You should mm. challenge yourself to 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 hop in as much as possible, right? Into these into what they called authentic modes of being, which mm. is being acutely aware of your freedoms and of your choices and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm with you. I think have fun with it, mm. play with it. Re- realize that see, it's 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 like um, I understand feeling overwhelmed by infinite mm. possi- infinite possibility. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, to- I totally get that. And I also understand being overwhelmed by ultimate responsibility. Mm. However. If you, if you arrive at a point where these things are, if, if you really embody them and think these aren't just philosophical concepts, these are, these are actual realities of consciousness that I can't escape this. So then to become overwhelmed by it is the same as becoming overwhelmed by not breathing underwater, becoming overwhelmed by not being able to flap your arms and fly, becoming overwhelmed by not living to 232 years of age, becoming Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by only having two eyes instead of 14 eyes across your face. Like, start to think of it more as just part of the human constraint Mm. or part Mm. of the human condition. Mm. And every time you get overwhelmed by it, you're like, well, I'm I'm trying to solve the unsolvable puzzle here. Yeah. And and the same again for pain and suffering. This is the pain. The pain is the burden of freedom. The suffering is stressing the fuck out about it. Mm. So just know that you're responsible. Be at peace with it. Reflect. And I think, you know, Mindful, to live mindfully, compassionately, curious. Be compassionately curious about the choices you make, because the choices that you make. It's the same with the gratitude practice. You know, if you do that every morning and think of the things that you're grateful for, there's themes, and those themes will start to alert you to the things that mean something to you.
6: Hmm.
3: And if if you map those themes across how you spend your life in material terms, there might be some incongruence there. Yep. And I think our choices are the same. And so the question is. Are all these choices I'm making, are they lined up with my meaning structure? I mean, this is the game you play. It's, here's your meaning. Here's your behaviour. Try and get them as close as you can because the anxiety manifests in the void in between. So if my meaning structure out here, I believe I should live this way. If you were to follow me around and watch me, I'm actually living out here. <laughs> yeah. That's where anxiety manifests, yeah? And so the larger the gap, the more neurotic the anxiety. And so in order to cover – so I've got – multiple ways of mitigating or reducing this and i guess this is if we talk about using existential angst and anxiety as a, as a lens to understand neurotic anxiety this is how i would do it clinically
6: mm-hmm.
3: and so it's here's your options here yeah i can either adjust my meaning structure to bring it mm-hmm. closer to my behavior Yep. which means that because quite often we can work a job we hate
6: yep. for
3: example and it's and uh it's our, it's our right intellectual e- psychological right example yep so, so here's the options change and so everyone always thinks they've got to change their job yeah because mm-hmm. here's what I think work should be. It should be meaningful and altruistic and uh, I should feel autonomous and empowered and all this kind of shit, yeah? Yep. And i mean, I sound facetious, but of course, yeah, this is what we all want. Here's our job. And so everyone straight away thinks, I've got to quit this job, it's like this, I'm going to quit that job and try and get a job that's closer to my meaning structure. Mm. Because the, the larger the void, this uncomfortability, it's that void is where the anxiety manifests. Mm. That's the existential inauthenticity in the middle there, yeah? Yeah. So ev- everyone always wants to quit the job and get another job that's closer to their meaning structure very few people want to audit their meaning structure and figure out different ways of processing reality in order Yo. to bring their meaning structure closer to the actual behavior Yo. <laughs> because one of them involves cutting and running and the other involves discipline psychological fortitude and people don't want to, people people are less inclined to buy into that oh,
4: brother <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So like I'll, I'll quickly share with you why this yes. is so profoundly. So the, the inspired evolution fundamentally is here to help people live the life of their dreams, right? And all that really means is living life on your own terms and you dictate those terms, which is that meaning structure that you have, like you live yeah. in alignment with it, right? Because that was – so we talked about this previously in the previous cut of this, like the TED Talk is called Stress is Your Ally because that I see that as this fundamental stress on your system, on your body, on your nervous system, which you're labeling as existential angst, you know, that is the stress on your system, right? Yeah. We've got different terminology for it, but it's the same thing, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I believe that stress is serving you and you call it, it's like your compass to authenticity is identifying what is your most healthiest version of yourself, where your purpose is. So I totally relate to that. Now, yeah. I just really respect what you've just shared in terms of how difficult it is to shift your meaning structure towards behaviors and i just want to take a moment to acknowledge like just where i'm at with things because for two and a half years it was completely inspired evolution coaching speaking traveling right coaching speaking traveling coaching and just establishing that as a system and recently what's come up is actually the inspired evolution now the systems are really tight we need more resources to pump into those systems to help it grow Right. And yeah. I completely give myself 10 years for wherever this needs to go to go, you know, and I just completely trust. Yeah. And I learn a lot in these conversations. These conversations mean everything to me. So I'm happy to do that. Yeah, totally. This requires more of my energy than, you know, and so what's come up for me is I now spend some of my time consulting on uh, Melbourne's building a metro. So I've gone back to engineering for some of my time. Yeah to yep. consult on building a metro tunnel. And initially, and this is just like a little tangent, but initially I had this, but mate, you're the inspired evolution. You're Mr. Inspired <laughs> Evolution. Like, what <laughs> the fuck are you Yeah. And it's like and I was like, wait, that's and I had to have this whole moment with myself, which was like, that's just spiritual ego, mate. Like, you know, you've oh. just formed an identity and you're just like not willing to sort of see what other opportunities are available. So I had to again humble myself again and be like, okay, where did what does this really mean? It's like, okay, well if I get resources like from here and i can yeah. bring them back into my dream and my love then that's epic now totally. the key the key kicker was like there's a whole bunch of like synchronicities that landed me to even considering this as a thing and then getting this thing yeah. one of them yeah. being one of the person that was interviewing me um for like if we're a right fit for us to go on this journey together um was he'd been meditating for 20 years yeah, And in that, I was just like, dude, out of like all the engineering spaces I've moved in, I've never really met another m- like hardcore meditator, you know, yeah. and just like the way he, like we really connected really, really well and he doesn't know it, but I, I really respect him a lot. And well, he knows that I respect him a lot, but he's almost like a mentor in many ways, yeah. right? Just the way he, he, he navigates himself. And the work is basically that of a, oh, like you're almost like a... You're an advisor in many ways, right? Yeah. Now, the meaning structure, and sorry for, thank you for following along for such such an extent for me sharing some airtime, but the meaning that I have subsequently generated is basically, with the Inspired Evolution, I've gotten really clear that what in you, again, the whole idea around connection, I love connecting yeah. with people and I love connecting ideas, people, ideas, yeah. people to people, people to ideas, ideas to ideas, connection, people, ideas. This is the thing. And yeah. like being able to communicate that is like the cherry on the cake. So communication is everything. And you've used all these words yeah, yeah, today yeah. yourself. And I saw, like, there's this oh, massive Yeah, no, no. I, I, I
3: right.
4: yeah. And so, but I realized that when I landed back here, like all I'm doing as an advisor rather than like someone that's like a project manager, which is out on the site, like helping getting things yeah. done, which is my previous reality on the inspired evolution. Actually, what I'm doing is I'm connecting Problems and solutions, like I'm connecting ideas, and like it's very much an advisory kind of role. So, and then I'm communicating that to the key people within the government here, going, "Oh, mate you probably need to have a look at this, and maybe adjust that." Yeah. Meaning, I could find the meaning that was like, "Wait, the inspired Evolution is all about connecting people and ideas, and fundamentally, communication is what my is like my tool and my amble. That's what I'm using, right? Yeah. And then I've come back here and I'm going, "Wait, wait, wait. This is not so off because actually, what I'm doing is I'm still." Connecting people and ideas, and I'm communicating. It's technical communication. It's not verbal yeah. communication. It's technical communications. Some of my outputs look like summaries of certain things in terms of this is what's going on here. This is what's fucked here. This is what looks promising. Here are opportunities, yeah. but it's still the same essence. It's a still thread. So I found that meaning and I feel really wholesome about it. I feel yeah. really, really good about it because, but you're right. It takes. Like, all right, here comes out the chisel and like wait, wait, this no. like there's this real resistance, like because I'm I'm the guy that, you know, left corporate construction to then go walk the inspired evolution. And now it's like, Oh, but you're you're being an advisor now. It's like, but wait, wait a sec, wait a sec, I can adjust and I can find the meaning and what is it? And actually it becomes so empowering, it's insane.
3: So so you know what what you're articulating there for my money. Mm. is and, and the irony about it
4: mm.
3: um and once again this is this is this is a long-standing philosophical position but uh especially the continental existentialists they were quite interested in this too um the subject object dichotomy now mm. from an existential standpoint from an existential standpoint there's like so um jean-paul sartre and simone de Beauvoir, who were the, and they were sort of uh I mean, they're intertwined, I guess, uh, physically, romantically uh, and, and, and professionally. There's <laughs> a lot of connection. <laughs> oh, and, so, and their belief was largely that, that the greatest tension within any human relationship is a subject-object subject, object dichotomy in the sense that mm. I, I see myself as a subject largely and I will treat you as, as, as an object. I'll objectify mm. you through, through our exchange in order for me to get what I want. So that's, that's one traditional position. And you notice yeah. that in conversation too, you notice the difference between listening, uh, with the intent to understand and then sort of being quiet, waiting to respond.
6: Mm.
3: And that, that's the difference between you either treating that person as a subject or as an object. So if you're just waiting to respond, then that's just an object getting object. in your way in order for you to make your next great point. If yeah. you, if you're trying to, um, listen to this person um, with, with the, with the intention of understanding rather than responding, you're, uh, I guess honoring their subjective experience. Mm. Um, the existential some of the existentialists believe that at that point you 're now going to objectify yourself so there 's always going to be this tension yeah? uh, fascinating so what you, so what you 're talking about this this profound irony where you go and create inspired evolution and do some mind value work and, and start walking the path and here I am on this authentic journey now yeah mm. I refuse to be another object I refuse to be another you know, tick box man in this category who does this for a line of work who does, you know, I'm not, I'm not a drop down box man. This is, mm. you can't objectify me. I'm, I'm my own unique idiosyncratic subjective experience. And here mm. I am and I've created this amazing kind of world, uh, based on how I see things and, and how I want to make my impact, mm. which is in spite of illusion. Mm. And, and then your environment shifts to the point where you're like, you know what? I might need to take on some extra work in order to, I don't know, to, to expand or to scale this project the way, the way I want to. Mm. so you do that and ironically the thing preventing you from doing that is not your subjective experience but it's the object that is that is your you. subjective yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
6: yeah
4: because yeah. you're
3: like this is immovable you know here no the inspired evolution guy doesn't do this really <laughs> the inspired evolution guy's in a fucking statue he can do whatever he fucking wants <laughs> but you have totally objectified yourself in that space and so when we talk about the outsourcing of responsibility mm-hmm. fundamentally that's what we're doing We're we're asking to be objectified and if you if you when you work with people and i'm sure you know this is a coach as well people will have very limiting narratives like, i can't do this because they don't see you don't understand you haven't got you haven't got kids you don't understand my wife's really unreasonable you don't, you don't my dad wouldn't understand my boss is a prick uh i've got a sore leg all mm-hmm. these things are is where Continually denying our freedoms through, objecti- through objectifying ourselves, so we're trying to create ourselves as, as concrete rather than fluid.
4: And I, and I, and I is my winded point. Yeah, the <laughs> thing, the thing. I, I just want to carry that tangent further because the the thing that I struggle with, what you've just articulated, is somehow those limiting narratives become a path of least resistance. Most definitely. It's just like, because, wait, 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 wait a sec. So it's like, you'd rather, sorry, I wasn't saying that to you. No, I was just, I'm just like, this is me talking <laughs> oh, to a client. But like, yeah. it's just like, you know, somehow it's easier to believe that I don't have confidence than it is to actually do the work to stand up on stage and deliver what my thought systems and beliefs are that maybe actually help you on your journey and your navigation. of blah, Right, instead of having to go and look at that and be like, actually, it's real hard work to become a public speaker. It's much easier to just be like, oh, I lack confidence. Yeah, I'm shy. Yeah, right. And then, and then, but then, having that conversation with people is like, actually, I don't think you lack confidence. I just think you you actually don't want to put in the work because. And then it's like, but those limiting beliefs somehow are a path of least resistance. Is a is fascinating.
3: So, but if you, if you bring it back again to it through an existential lens mm. and we talk about the burden of freedom. Yep. So, so freedom is ultimate and unlimited possibility, which, which we all have access to within the constraints of being human. You know? yep. Uh, so mm-hmm. if we take public speaking, like a client of yours, for example, who wants to be a public speaker and wants you to help coach them through that and you, and you get to this sort of crossroads, I guess, where you neither party wants to move and you're mm. saying, you know what? It's not a lack of confidence. It's just a lack of, um, not even courage. It's it's a, just a lack of willingness to try, fundamentally. Mm. So the existential position would be no, 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 no. By them saying they're shy, like this cup's green, yeah, yeah, it's immovable. I, I'm shy. I'm this complete, fixed, concrete object. Mm. And you turn around and say, no, you're actually not. You're you're a bunch of potential and unlimited freedom, and you can do whatever you want to do. That's mm. fucking terrifying. Mm. And so the anxiety that comes with that. Mm-hmm. is more overwhelming uh-huh. than the anxiety of just being a cup. Absolutely. And so people choose concrete objective narratives for themselves time and time again because unlimited possibility is terrifying. Mm. If you think about where you are now and and what it is that you want without question, you could have done it quicker, faster, smarter. Without without question. <laughs> and And yeah. so in order to avoid that kind of regret, it's like there's this beautiful saying that people people will put off the debt of, what is is it? Oh, I can't remember. I've got to get it right. People, people will forgo the loan of life in order to put off the, de- the debt of death, meaning that it's like if I don't live, maybe I won't die type thing. And it's the same oh. thing. It's if, if, I, if I deny my possibilities, then at least I'm saved the, the, the angst of knowing I didn't take full advantage of this life.
4: Yeah, that's, yeah, that one really hurts, man. That one, it does that one really hurts
3: but um, here's the kicker man you're anxious anyway <laughs> you might as well fucking go for it and that's the existential position like you, you you're anxious anyway you can't avoid it we're all anxious yeah so, so learn to play with it and learn mm. to understand it i'm already anxious am i going to be anxious about whether i left the stove running and do i need to wash my hands again i'd rather be anxious about thinking fuck i'm running out of life maybe i should get on with it i'd rather have that conversation with myself
4: Yeah, and playful out, you know, yeah, 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 I love that. So on my mirror written at home is this quote, which is, um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's not our light, it's not our darkness that most frightens us. Playing small does not serve me or the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people don't feel insecure around me. We're all meant to shine as children do. You know, it's not just in some of us, it's in all of us and as we give permission to ourselves to let our own light shine we unconsciously give other people permission to let their light shine as we're liberated from our fear just our presence alone helps people liberate them from theirs you know um and just that 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 fun that is invo- invoked and invited in that you know yeah. it's, it's completely slippery one of the people that I've had on the podcast previously was like health is just keeping it slippery you know, how slippery can you keep it? And it's like, just how yeah, subjective yeah. can you keep it? You know, and just like keep yeah. moving, keep moving. You know, it's like take a hit, keep moving, keep moving. You know, it's yeah. Also,
3: consciousness, is, consciousness is, is future focused. Yeah. Like it's mm. that, that's how consciousness is constructed. So, so we spoke earlier about how if you spend too much time looking back over your shoulder, that tends to be where grief and depression will live. Yeah. And if we look too far into the future, or even, you don't know, need to look too far in the future at all. If you spend too much time in the future, that's where anxiety lives.
4: What's for lunch, Tony? <laughs> no, <I'm> exactly. kidding. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But
3: here, here's, here's the kicker is that consciousness is future-orientated, yeah? Mm. So you and I were texting this morning about kind of, well, what time do we want to do this? That's that's future-orientated thinking.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: And we teed this up on Major during the Week whenever we teed it up. That's future-orientated thinking. Every single thing that you have done throughout the course of this week has been, has had a future orientated motivation to it. Mm. That's life, life is a linear un, unfolding experience. And, and Nietzsche would say that it's unfolding, you're always becoming. So you never actually arrive. Mm. You're always stepping into the next moment. And as soon as you step into that moment, then the next moment is, is just in front of you type thing. And you, you never arrive, you only die. That's the, that's the sort of end point. Mm. And so we're constantly becoming, constantly becoming, constantly becoming, constantly becoming. And that's why Nietzsche is quite, you know, become who you are. He's like, you know, you can't be you. You can, you can be in the pursuit of becoming you. You're never going to arrive there. But it's just this playful game that you play where you try and, you try and catch up with yourself. Mm-hmm. Consciousness in the future keeps unfolding. You're never going to arrive. Yeah. And the real, the real you sits here. So, so the real me, for example, whatever that is, that, that, then the real you, they meet each other. And you and I, how we identify as isolated egos, we're a split second behind that. Because there's this, that we take in the stimulus and then our consciousness gets hold of it and makes sense of it. Yeah. So why take it personally? Because I'm a split second behind reality the whole Mm. time. My conscious experience is always a split second behind. Mm. And it goes through my biases, it goes through my meaning structures, it goes through my cognitive limitations, and it Mm. it goes through all the trauma that I've ever fucking experienced before Mm. it becomes a conscious manifestation or a thought. Yeah. I'm always a Tiny bit behind reality as it unfolds and always stepping into it. That's going to be anxiety provoking. It's as simple as that. Because anxiety lives in the future. So just, just become at peace with it. Mm. Learn that, learn that the reality you're experiencing is always slightly. <laughs> slightly distilled, slightly differentiated from the person. I love that, and have some fun with it.
4: <laughs> what I'm picking up is like you're not actually meeting the person or the situation; you're meeting the ambassador of the person or the situation. Yes, let yes. them off, let them off the hook. They're just the ambassador. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just the ambassador. <laughs> yeah. It's not the actual person themselves. It's not yeah. It's, it's just that's just my interpretation of of,
3: yeah. of, of of what you've shown, and you know what I mean. We're always just that little bit behind, a little bit behind, little bit behind. Yeah, yeah I get it. That's just how consciousness is constructed and it's always in the future. So you are you are going to experience anxiety. You know you're going to die, so you're going to experience anxiety. You know you're not doing everything you could do in order to make inspired evolution the biggest thing it could possibly be, whatever your vision is. Mm. Because at some other points in time you have competing values and sometimes mm. you pay more faith or more attention to those competing values. That's a conscious choice. And so rather than Dragging yourself over hot coals. Just have a responsible relation, a conversation with yourself. That no, I deemed this to be more meaningful. I deemed having dinner with that friend to be more meaningful than writing that the extra paragraph I promised I was going to write on my TED talk today, or whatever it is. It's it's just where you're choosing to place your meaning at that point in time, and just, just stay playful with it. Mm-hmm. Don't dismiss it, and don't don't suppress the responsibility of it. But just stay playful with it. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be this hard, man.
4: It's hard, yeah. I love the uh, I love the conversation you 're having about become who you are, you know that that for me is everything you know I feel like we're yeah. inherently perfect the way that we are, and that 's why a big thing that i 've come to realize over time like the podcast up with this Ew! and I realized over time what that really and I walk out on stage doing this all the time now as well and i 'm like what am I why am I and it's like actually that's given me permission. To wash all your expectations into nothingness and just me be me. Yeah. You know, and it's just like whatever yeah. you expect. was <laughs> a corporate seminar, 350 C level execs, And then just like, what the fuck is this, like? And it's like, cool, now that that's out of the way, let's have a chat, you know? And it's like, be, be yeah. who you are. But then the, the real thing in there that I speak to a lot, and um, this is work that I, I love, um, is I say that, you know, and this is a classic example of it, is when the being, and the becoming are both intrinsically like the good juju is just in both of them. And so I'll give you a classic yeah. example. Yeah. Like right now, you and yeah. I were meant to have this chat for twenty minutes, right? And we've been going for really? yeah. <laughs> how long have we We said that we like hey, twenty minutes. We'll just supplement the the conversation yeah, we
3: maybe. had. <laughs> an hour and a half,
4: <laughs> Yeah. Right. So like. Right. So like, and so, but the being in the moment is so yeah. rewarding. And then obviously having these insightful conversations, what the podcast is becoming on the back of who I'm being right yeah. now is so like that dance. And that's when I find flow states activate. Yeah. Right. Cause then it's like who I'm being and who I'm becoming are intrinsically just zzz, zzz, like we're totally. in it. We're in it. Time dissolves. So like, I didn't even realize it's almost an hour and 20 when it's meant to be 20 minutes. I thought, no. Yeah. But legitimately. Right. So like that, and that's classic example, classic example. When you drop into the flow, Time dissolves. You just go do what you. Then you just things just happen. Timelessness and the richness. um, Yeah, amazing, amazing.
3: And so the the irony is too, because I'm fascinated with flow states too. uh, Been a musician all my life. Yeah. Um, and even therapy, as you know, as a coach or conversation is flow. You know, when it's sort of when you hit the right points, which is exactly what you were speaking to before. We've, We've become so obsessed with like, who am I? Mm. uh and And your entry point into that those uh your uh, thoughts around flow were, were exactly that that well, who who am I is the thing hanging behind the real me that's out there touching the the world, and my mm. consciousness sits straight behind it yeah the only time that really that you really get to greet the moment is in flow states, mm. and the irony is it's in flow states that you don't exist yeah. the concept of you it disappears, so the most you you can be is when you actually transcend yourself. That in itself is so ironic, don't you reckon? <laughs> I love it, though. That is everything. That is everything. That yeah. is everything. I'm most me when I disappear, has it?
4: <laughs> because your inherent nature is that you are infinite possibility as you initially yeah. yeah.
3: And so if, if you and I can get out of the way and have a, and have a, have a conversation where we both experience flow, mm. we disappear. And that's as authentic an exchange as you're ever going to get. Yeah. Yep. That's a whole different ballgame to two isolated egos trying to objectify each other. Yeah. You and I just became the experience.
6: Mm.
3: We disappeared and the conversation was was, was the conversation was our reality, mm. not me talking to you and you talking to me. It's
4: such a blessing. It's just... It's totally. You know, and often, like, I'm not sure what your standpoint on it is, um, are, are agnostic... Yeah. Yeah, perfect. And so in that conversation, like people say, Oh, you're you're you believe in God and I'm like, I believe <laughs> And they're like, Yeah, and but you believe in a God and I'm like, The the only thing about that is what you've interpreted to be God is unlikely to be what I've interpreted to be God and then we go on this whole conversation and it's like as a, I'm just here to learn. Anything that can teach me is God for me this yeah. pc that i'm staring at you the conversation has taught me today uh, anything that i can learn from is god so for me the fact that you manifested and can inform me is an, an indicator that god exists and then it's like wait but but god like a person in the cloud and i'm like no no no. for me god <laughs> is just wonder <laughs> yeah i, I just yeah, yeah. sub in the word god for wonder and if you if wherever you've got god just like do you have wonder if you've got wonder You've got my God. <laughs> That's my God. So do nice, wonder. I believe in wonder. And it's like, so it's a really interesting, yeah, dance in there and, and just like how it all comes together. And I like the wonder and the awe of just the, the, how informed we can be now in today's yeah. day like 2019's epic it's almost 220 right the fact that we can have these conversations around flow and understand these states to get that little bit little bit closer to understanding who am i what am i doing yeah. and yet still be like eons away from ever figuring it out but like still enjoying the ride to such a degree like you know that yeah that curiosity and the way consciousness is dancing with itself in terms of yeah. the way we experience it is just ah oh, the wonder <laughs> yeah Yeah. Wonder. totally it's
3: like, you know, what's the meaning? I, I think the meaning is just learning to – it's like surfing. I don't surf, but it's that same kind of thing. You don't understand the wave. You just write it.
6: You know? Yeah.
3: Like it's – the worst thing I can do as a musician is trying to understand music. I just play rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's kind of you just get in the tube. And I think life's the same. <laughs> learn, to, learn to play with it. And the work you do, the work I do, uh, and philosophy as a concept, That's it's just like – It's our instrument to ride the wave of life. That's all it is. It's just to make it more enjoyable and to ease the suffering. Don't don't overthink it.
4: I love that.
6: Play
3: with it.
4: Thank you so much, brother, for, for no sitting worries. down and sharing your time, your energy, no with blowing today. the budget, man. Blowing the budget, <laughs> mate. This is what the budget was invented for. <laughs> it's, a, it's a watchmaker. <laughs> <I blame> it. Watchmaker. <laughs> yeah, this is why we made him to just put springs. <laughs> no, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no kidding, kidding. <laughs> But, you know, is a, a real treat. And I think the one of the biggest yeah, ones, fun. you know, having this chat around, you know, your anxiety is your authenticity. Um, I think that, that gap that we spoke to in like fundamentally, you know, like between your behaviors and your meanings, that action piece, like live your truth, like your truth is your actions in motion is like the yeah. biggest key takeaway in around that. The philosophy in and around that, I think, we like man, it's such an honor, and, and like uh, legitimately, like the Inspired Evolution, like I'm in awe of it. Just that it enables me to have these connections, to have conversations, yeah, with people such as yourself, brother. So I want to thank you so much for being here today. Um, thank you, sir. And also me blowing the budget, so thank, <laughs> thanks you for holding space <laughs> for that. And um, and also, bro, like I know it takes a lot of a lot of self work. In keeping things as slippery and as subjective as you have. Yeah. You know, just, and so I just want to take a moment to just honor and acknowledge all of that in the past. And as always, wishing you all the best with what's coming up in the future. Um, Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah. For those tuning in, brother, how, what's the best way to get in touch with, with Tony?
3: The best way to get in touch with me is to go to my website, which I haven't updated for a long time, which is just TonyAnson.com. J O H A W N S E N, Facebook. Like it's, um, I'm because I because a lot of my work is with the criminal justice system and things like that. I do very limited private stuff outside of that. Yeah. It also means because of the work I do, I keep a relatively low profile. You probably find more about me as a musician than anything else. Um, I, I am doing some workshops next year, though. I'm going to, yeah, start expanding further into that private space. And the reason I say private space is because I obviously work within government funding models and things like that. Mm. So probably just half-day workshops, the way I've designed them. It's just yeah. going to be that entry point as to having a more structured, I mean, you and I, as we say, Kevin, we talked pretty talking pretty loose. It would, mm-hmm. It's just a more structured half-day conversation around yeah. understanding existential anxiety and really an introduction as to learning how to play with it and learning the limitations of the consciousness around it. And trying to demystify, I guess, neurotic anxiety, and it's an invitation to live more existentially. So I think March at the moment, I haven't locked dates in. That's what it's looking like. But, yeah, just Facebook's probably the easiest way. I'm old enough that Facebook's still cool to me, I think.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, brother. And um, just a last little question, Um, completely existential in its nature, and the last question I ask of most guests that come on, and uh, it'd be rude most of all, not to ask you this, um, is who are you?
3: Ah, I'm becoming. (laughs) (laughs) I'm becoming who I am as we speak, mate.
4: (laughs) Oh, brother, it has been such a treat and an honour. Thank you so much. Seriously,
3: it was a a very enjoyable conversation. I really... um, when we first made contact through Get Hacked, Get High, I've looked into a bit of your work. I think you're doing some amazing things. Um, so it's been a privilege to talk to you today uh, and the other week as well and no doubt we'll cross paths. You're a really good human. You just keep doing the thing. <laughs> keep, thing. keep becoming who you are.
4: <laughs> <laughs> keep being and becoming. You totally. riding those waves.
3: <laughs> good times.
4: Uh, thanks for your blessings, brother.
3: No worries, mate. Take it easy.
4: Hey Tribe, thanks for tuning in to another fun, enlightening episode of The Inspired Evolution. I've been loving all the feedback and personal stories of love, uh, health and growth. Your feedback and stories are incredibly welcome. The easiest way to connect with me is via my website, which is wwwamrit sanducom You can leave me a message or a comment. It's one of my highest values to connect, so I love to connect and love to hear from you. You can also find me on Facebook, Amrit Sandu, And if the content has been resonating with you, you can help The Inspired Evolution out in a big way by liking the YouTube channel, subscribing to The Inspired Evolution, or the Facebook page, like that please, at The Inspired Evolution, or by leaving a review on iTunes if you're on an Apple device. And also, if the Inspired Evolution episodes are inspiring an evolution within you, or you can feel the inspiration is valuable for your team to evolve to the next level, you can head on over to wwwamaret sanducom to see how the Inspired Evolution can help you and your team thrive. Much love, tribe.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...